to Nudie Reads for 2021. Tonight's read is a part of Julius Caesar's The Gallic War, in which Caesar describes the Gauls, who were Celts. And famously, he lays out the world's first reference to the truly awful Celtic practice of the Wicker Man. Yes, that Wicker Man. Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward. Definitely gives me the shivers. And if you don't get that reference, then Google Anthony Schaefer's movie of the same name. The thing about the Gallic War is that it was written in plain Latin and therefore easily understood at the time over 2,000 years ago and easily translated. I'm reading from McDevitt's translation, published 1915. And another thing is that it's uh, divided into eight books and each book covers a year. Also, it doesn't just cover the Gallic War, but Caesar's invasions of Britain and Germany too. Book one starts in 58 BCE. So tonight we are in book six in the year 53 BCE, just nine years until Big Julie didn't listen to his wife Calpurnia and went to the Roman Senate on that fateful Ides of March in 44 BCE to end up getting stabbed 23 times until he died. He was an amazing man. Many things can be said of Julius Caesar, including that he was a wonderful writer. So a very happy new year, listeners, or anum novum felicium, as Caesar might have said. Let's get into book six of the Gallic War, chapters 13 to 17. Throughout all Gaul, there are two orders of those men who are of rank and dignity. The commonality is held almost in the condition of slaves, and dares to undertake nothing of itself, and is admitted to no deliberation. The greater part, when they are pressed either by debt, or the large amount of their tributes, or the oppression of the more powerful, give themselves up in vassalage to the nobles, who possess over them the same rights, without exception, as masters over their slaves. But of the two orders of men of rank and dignity, one is that of the Druids, the other that of the Knights. The Druids are engaged in things sacred, conduct the public and the private sacrifices, and interpret all matters of religion. To these, a large number of the young men resort for the purpose of instruction, and the Druids are in great honour among them. For they determine respecting almost all controversies, public and private, and if any crime has been perpetrated, if murder has been committed, if there be any dispute about an inheritance, if any about boundaries, these same persons decide it. They decree rewards and punishments. If anyone, either in a private or public capacity, has not submitted to their decision, they interdict him from the sacrifices. This, among them, is the most heavy punishment. Those who have thus been interdicted are esteemed in the number of the impious and the criminal. All shun them and avoid their society and conversation, lest they receive some evil from their contact. Nor is justice administered to them when seeking it, nor is any dignity bestowed on them. Over all these druids one presides, who possesses supreme authority among them. Upon his death, if any individual among the rest is preeminent in dignity, he succeeds. But if there are many equal, the election is made by the suffrages of the druids. Sometimes they even contend for the presidency with arms. 
These assemble at a fixed period of the year in a consecrated place in the territories of the Carnutes, which is reckoned the central region of the whole of Gaul. Hither all who have disputes assemble from every part and submit to their decrees and determinations. This institution is supposed to have been devised in Britain and to have been brought over from it into Gaul. And now those who desire to gain a more accurate knowledge of that system generally proceed thither for the purpose of studying it. The Druids do not go to war, nor pay tribute together with the rest. They have an exemption from military service and a dispensation in all matters. Induced by such great advantages, many embrace this profession of their own accord and many are sent to it by their parents and relations. They are said there to learn by heart a great number of verses. Accordingly, some remain in the course of training 20 years. Nor do they regard it lawful to commit these to writing, although in almost all other matters in their public and private transactions they use Greek characters. That practice they seem to me to have adopted for two reasons because they neither desire their doctrines to be divulged among the mass of the people, nor those who learn to devote themselves the less to the efforts of memory, relying on writing, since it generally occurs to most men that in their dependence on writing they relax their diligence in learning thoroughly and their employment of the memory. They wish to inculcate this as one of their leading tenets, that souls do not become extinct but pass after death from one body to another, and they think that men by this tenet are in a great degree excited to valour, the fear of death being disregarded. They likewise discuss and impart to the youth many things respecting the stars and their motion, respecting the extent of the world and of our earth, respecting the nature of things, respecting the power and the majesty of the immortal gods. The other order is that of the knights. These, when there is occasion and any war occurs, are all engaged in war, which before Caesar's arrival was for the most part wont to happen every year, as either they on their part were inflicting injuries or repelling those which others inflicted on them, and those of them most distinguished by birth and resources have the greatest number of vassals and dependents about them. They acknowledge this sort of influence and power only. The nation of all the Gauls is extremely devoted to superstitious rites, and on that account they who are troubled with unusually severe diseases and they who are engaged in battles and dangers either sacrifice men as victims or vow that they will sacrifice them and employ the Druids as the performers of those sacrifices, because they think that unless the life of a man be offered for the life of a man, the mind of the immortal gods cannot be rendered propitious, and they have sacrifices of that kind ordained for national purposes. Others have figures of vast size, the limbs of which, formed of wicker, they fill with living men, which being set on fire, the men perish enveloped in the flames. They consider that the oblation of such persons as have been thieves or robbers or any other offence is more acceptable to the immortal gods, but when a supply of that class is wanting, 
they have recourse to the oblation of even the innocent. They worship as their divinity, Mercury in particular, and have many images of him and regard him as the inventor of all arts. They consider him the guide of their journeys and marches and believe him to have very great influence over the acquisition of gain and mercantile transactions. Next to him, they worship Apollo and Mars and Jupiter and Minerva. In respect of these deities, they have for the most part the same belief as other nations, that Apollo averts diseases, that Minerva imparts the invention of manufactures, that Jupiter possesses the sovereignty of the heavenly powers, and that Mars presides over war. To him, when they have determined to engage in battle, they commonly vow those things they shall take in war. When they have conquered, they sacrifice whatever captured animals may have survived the conflict and collect the other things into one place. In many states you may see piles of these things heaped up in their consecrated spots. Nor does it often happen that anyone disregarding the sanctity of the case dares either to secrete in his house things captured or take away those deposited, and the most severe punishment with torture has been established for such a deed. All the Gauls assert that they are descended from the god Dis and say that this tradition has been handed down by the Druids. For that reason, they compute the divisions of every season, not by the numbers of days, but of nights. They keep birthdays and the beginnings of months and years in such an order that the day follows the night. Among the other usages of their life, they differ in this from almost all other nations, that they do not permit their children to approach them openly until they are grown so as to be able to bear the service of war, and they regard it as indecorous for a son of boyish age to stand in public in the presence of his father. And that's where we'll leave it today. Caesar, it seems to me without much judgment, recounting what the Gauls were like, 2,073 years ago, and if he hadn't written about it, I expect we might never have known because those darn druids didn't like to write everything down. Okay, so next time we will be jumping forward to October 1692, Salem, Massachusetts, as we read some of Robert Califf's observations of the Salem witch trials. I do hope you'll join me. Thanks for listening to Newly Reads.